Okay, good morning. I want to thank our sponsors this morning, Judy and Lester Henner, in remembration of the year of their beloved mothers, Peggy Wool and Mina Henner, and beloved grandmothers of Benji and Zelda Henner, and beloved great-grandmothers of Samantha, Rebecca, Evan, and Jordan Henner. Thank you for your sponsorship. Neshama should have an aliyah. We have the privilege this week of studying Parsha Shmos, and with that beginning, Sefer Shmos. I have way too much going on up here. Can't find what I'm looking for. Sefer Shmos. As I mentioned every year when we begin Sefer Shmos, is an incredible transition. We have five books of Chumash, five distinct books of Torah, and each one has a character, each one has a theme. Certainly the Parshios themselves tell narratives, they tell story. The Parshios themselves communicate ideals, values, laws, and our history. But the books too have a theme that develops. So what is the theme of Sefer Shmos? The Smag, the author of the Sefer Allah's Gedolos, titles each of the five books of the Torah. Consistent with the titles that Chazal gave, but also a little bit different. Bracious, he calls Sefer Hayetzira. It's the story of formation, of creation, of when the world came into being ex nihilo. There was a vacuum. Tov, avo, there was utter nothingness. And creation, Bracious tells the story of the world, of our lives. And Siddur snippets that we're learning each day, we're up to Elokai Neshama. We go through, there's three different descriptions that describe the three levels, the Ruach, the Nefesh, and the Neshama. So the book of Bereshis is the story of our creation. The epitome, the climax of creation is the Neshama. Man is created on the sixth day, each day of creation. It continues to progress, continues to elevate, and the ultimate creation, the culmination of creation, is man on the sixth day. Some like to point out that the culmination of creation is actually not man. The final act of creation, which represents, I guess, the pinnacle of all creation, that gender likes to say, is woman. When woman is created, Chava is extracted from Adam. That is the last act of creation, represents the pinnacle, the peak of creation. So the book of Bereshis is Sefer HaYitzira. Vayikra is Torah's Kohanim. Because, again, this is Chazal called, the Medrash calls it Torah's Kohanim. It's the story of our great Kohanim, their laws and their distinct position and what's expected of them and so on. But Midbar, Sefer HaPikudim, the book of counting. We have several counts. Dvarim, Mishneh Torah, because Moshe's monologue or soliloquy recounts so much of the Torah that had been communicated before. But the Sefer Allah's Gedolos does not offer a unique name to the book of Shemos. What does he call the book of Shemos? We call it Shemos. But he calls it Sefer Hasheni, the second book. That is the worst name ever for a book. Imagine you write a book and then you put out a sequel. And for the sequel, you call it the second book. Instead of Harry Potter, I don't even know the names of the Harry Potter books. Do they have different names each book? Yes. Um, so, but instead, imagine how far it would have gotten if she just called it the second book. Sefer Hashemi, that's it. He couldn't come up with a more creative name, a name that better describes what is happening in this book. So the understanding is... That really what the Sefer Allah Gedolos is telling us is Shmos and Boratius are two halves of one book. True, they're divided. We have Chumash, Hamisha Chumshay Torah. We have five books. So they appear and they're published separately as two books. But their themes are two sides of a coin. The truth is their themes are really one and the same. How are the themes really one and the same? Because they're all about birth. They're all about the development. The book of Boratius is the birth of the first family. And it has all the family dynamics. We mention this every year. If you go through Sefer Bracious, we go through dysfunction to function. What's the definition of a dysfunctional family? 
Any family with more than one person in it. <laughs> so Sefer Bereshis is the very first dysfunctional family. It's an amazing book because it gives us license, it gives us permission to be dysfunctional. We don't need Sefer Bereshis and say, we'll never measure up, we can't compare, we can't strive, we'll never aspire to be them. We look and we say, there were struggles, parenting struggles and marriage struggles and sibling rivalry and family conflict. And when the curtain closes on the Parsha Vayechi, on the book of Bereshis, at least ostensibly, we've quoted the Rabbeinu Bachia before, that the reason for Asara Harugei Malchus is because the brothers never really asked forgiveness and Yosef never really forgave them because it was the most disingenuous apology. Sort of like LeBron James' apology, which we'll get to. So it's a disingenuous apology. It's not worthy. It's not deserving of forgiveness. Those who never really forgives them, that's why we have Asara Harugei Malchus. That's what Benibach is famous pshat. But the simple understanding is the curtain falls on the book of Bracious and finally we have a family united, unified, getting along. Finally they're functional. We bless our children to be Ephraim and Menashe, the first generation of siblings who get along, the foundational bracha, what we hope for our children. The book of Bracious is the story of a family. The birth of a family, going through the growing pains of a family, adolescence of a family, the maturing of a family, and now we have a functional family. And for the Sefer Allah's Gedolos, the book of Shmos is the other side of that same coin. Not the birth of a family, but now we have the birth of a, of a nation, of a people. Seventy, we went down to Mitzrayim, but we came out a nation, a people. And what the book of Bereshus represents for a family is what the book of Shmos represents for a people. Dysfunction, growing pains, rivalry. We don't conclude Sefer Shmos the way we do Bereshus because we have Bamidbar. Talk about the adolescence of a people. Complaining, negativity, bitterness, lack of appreciation. The whole book of Bamidbar. By the end of Tvarim, when Moshe is ready to give us our charge and we're enter, ready to enter the land, then finally, then finally we're ready. But that's Shmos is the corollary or Shmos is the complement. It's the other side of the coin of Bereshus. Bracious is the development, the birth of our first family, and Shmos is the birth of our, of our people. My friend uh, Rabbi Kenny Shayowitz wrote about it, quoted the Sefer Allah's Gedolz, and he suggests you also see this in terms of the very character and the mission of the family and then of, of the people, of the nation. Avram Avinu is described as, Pasuk says, Vayagad Avram ha'ivri, Rabbi Yudha Omer me'ever we are the Ivrim. Even before we were Yehudim, we take after Yehuda, Yehuda's wonderful character traits, what Yehuda taught us, Vayigash Yehuda, Yehuda's assertiveness, Yehuda's leadership, Yehuda's fallibility, Yehuda's willingness to apologize and to admit we are Yehudim. But before we were Yehudim, before we were Jews, we were Ivrim, or simultaneous. We still are Ivrim. After Avram HaIvri. And Ivri is a Hebrew. We speak the Hebrew language. We've always had that special language, Lashon HaKodesh, this very unique language. But more than that, we're not just Hebrews because of our language, but the Medrash tells us, Rabbi Yudh is telling us, that Avram Avinu was willing to stand on the other side. He was willing to be alone. That when the whole world said, this is moral, this is the ethic, the whole world said, this is normal, Avram said, no, that's not normal. The Torah defines my normalness. God tells me what's right, what's just, what's moral, what's ethical, what's correct, what's normal. 
And just because you, the fashion industry or pop culture, or just because you, the world of politics, or just because you have decided there's a new normal in the 21st century, a new normal in how we relate to one another, how we view ourselves, how we dress, how we interact, what's moral, what's ethical, only the Torah teaches me, the Torah lays the anchor of what is normal. Avram is the ivri because me'eva acher, he's willing to stand on the other side. And this people that emerge, that develop, that are born and grow in the book of Shmos, like our forefather, like our patriarch Avram, we too are willing to stand alone. And we're destined to stand alone. And that's what the Torah tells us. We're isolated in our existence and in our beliefs. To be a Jew is to be willing to swim upstream, to go against the tide, to stand alone, even when it's unpopular, even when it's difficult. The Jews in Egypt were trying to resist assimilation. Our whole story of the book of Shemos, Shemos, according to others, the name of the book is Shemos, because one of the three things that preserved our identity and helped us fight off assimilation and enabled us or empowered us to be redeemed was that we preserved our name. Our name, our dress, Hebrew, Ivri, our language, we were willing to stand alone, to go upstream. And that too is part of this pattern of following Avram. So what book, maybe the Sefer Allah Gedolos calls the book of Shmos, Sefer Hashemi, not because he lacked creativity, he couldn't come up with a better name, the sequel, but rather because it complements Sefer Bereshus. These two books together represent the birth of a family and the birth of a people. How does it begin? By recounting to us how many we were. Elishmos ben Yisrael, when we came to Mitzrayim, Yaakov, his family, Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, as if since last week's parsha we forgot the names of the tribes. As if. Notice we have a whole week in between, and we have a whole, we have a whole page break in between the first book and the second book of Chumash. But if you're reading, if you're reading straight, you're not going to forget the names. So why is the Torah repeating the names? So Rashi tells us why. Rashi tells us that God is recounting, recalling the Jewish people. Even when they were alive, He called them by name and He counted them and He recognized them. But He does it now in their death. So Rashi tells us why? Because Hashem is communicating His affection. He's communicating His love for us. And the Jewish people are like the stars. Hashem brings out and brings in by number and by name. He counts and enumerates. If you look at the sky, there are billions of stars and billions of galaxies and endless. And yet each one for Hashem has a name, has a purpose, has a mission. Each one shines bright in Hashem's eyes. And the same is true for people, the same is true for the Jewish people. So, Hashem recounts the Jewish people, even though we just had their names, in order to display, to communicate His love and His affection. Ask the Svasemes, the Ger Rebbe, the Budalev of Gur. Ask the Svasemes, for whom is Hashem counting? Elish Mos Ben Israel. We just read this and we read the names. For whom is He expressing this affection? Why is Hashem expressing this affection? And for whom and to Him is it directed? And the Ger Rebbe answers, you know who Hashem is expressing the affection for? Us, for us to hear. This isn't for the nations of the world. This isn't for anyone else. It's for Klal Yisrael. Every Jew needs to know that Hashem loves them. 
Everyone needs to know that we're a shining star in Hashem's eyes. We've been doing our Siddur snippets, six minutes a day of, in, of uh, insights into the Siddur. If you want to sign up for the WhatsApp group, let me know and you get your daily six-minute audio of uh, insight. So on Moda'ani, we conclude, Rabba Emunasecha. We finish it, we wake up every morning, we open our eyes and we say, Rabba Emunasecha, Hashem, you have incredible Emunah. What do you mean Hashem has Emunah? We have Emunah. We're the ones who are supposed to believe in Him. In whom does Hashem have Emunah? What does He believe in? If in God we trust, in whom does Hashem trust? Rabbi Amunasecha, Hashem, your belief in us is great. How do I know you believe in me, Hashem? Because I woke up today. Because I opened my eyes. Because my heart is beating in my chest. And air is flowing in my lungs. I'm alive. You've renewed my contract another day. Rabbi Amunasecha, you believe in me. Lublin writes, in Pritzadak, that we have to believe in Hashem, but part of believing in Hashem is believing in ourselves. Because we are a piece of Hashem. We're in Tzalem Elokim. And we are only here because Hashem wills us to be. And if we believe in Him, then we must believe in ourselves as an extension of Him. If He's tapped us to be here and that we have a mission, then we have to believe in Him. That's the theme. That's exactly the psukim that we're going to analyze together. When Moshe turns to Hashem and he says, How do I know? And I can't go. And this isn't ever going to work. And Hashem says, gives him an answer. We're, we're going to examine it. But his answer is, I'm sending you. And if I'm tapping you, and I'm the source of everything, if I believe in you, then you have to believe in yourself. That's the message of Parsha Shmos. If I believe in you, you have to believe in you. For whom? For us. When we read about how much Hashem loves every Jew, we should feel His love. Now, is that just a kumbaya? Hashem loves us, we can do no wrong in His eyes, there's no consequences, there's no accountability, He has no expectations. Of course He has expectations. Of course we have halacha, and we have schar va'onesh, and we have rules and principles that guide us, and there's accountability and consequences, but underlying it all, just like a parent has towards a child. You can't act in my home however you want, without repercussions. You can't just do what you want. There's rules, there's regulations, there's family code, and there's consequences if you don't abide by them. At least there's threats of them. Hopefully there's follow through too. But there's, there's consequences. But in the end of the day, what underlines those consequences in that system of, of accountability is love. Because I love you and want you to be the best you can be and want to teach you and want to raise you into being the best version of yourself. So Kodesh Baruch Hu holds us accountable and He sets expectations and He makes demands. But all that stems from because He loves us. And we're really great at emphasizing the expectations and the accountability and demands. We're good at the scare tactics. We're good at the schar va'onesh. We're good at to do the right thing or else something bad's going to happen and so on. But we sometimes forget to reinforce Kodesh Baruch Hu loves us. He loves us. Other, relations, other religions stole that from us. That's our bumper sticker. That's our motto. Hashem loves us. Says the Tzvah That's who He's counting for. He's not counting for anyone else to see. He's not expecting someone else to read the Chumash. He's counting for the Jewish people that when we begin Sefer Shemos each year and we read that He counts us again and compares us to the stars in the sky, for us, for Hashem, every one of us shines as bright as a star. Every one of them has a name. And that's the book of Shemos. It reminds us, it reaffirms our purpose and it reaffirms our Hashem's belief, Hashem's belief in us. Okay. Torah then tells us about Paro's plot. Vayakam al we have the famous debate. Was it really a new king or a king who forgot Yosef? How could a king forget Yosef? How could a king forget Yosef? Yosef saved the economy. His picture adorned 
Congress of Egypt, the Palace of Egypt. He, he was the model for the Fed chairman of Egypt. He saved the economy of Egypt. How could he possibly be forgotten? The Sforna, the Ibn Ezra, they point out, you know how he was forgotten? Because the Jewish people stopped having a relationship with government, with leadership. To me, this is always a muck or a source for the work of APAC or of advocacy. We have a voice, we have an opportunity to lobby, we have an opportunity to remind people that we count, that we can influence, and to use that influence to, to affect the policies that we care about. There's a turnover, I'm not going to give the you know, APAC plug now, but the turnover in Congress, the degree over the last few cycles, I think more than 50, 60% of Congress has turned over. The people who vote that send aid to our beloved Israel, or that dictate the rules, the, the laws that govern us, there's an enormous turnover. So they'll either they'll forget about us because we neglect those relationships, or we nurture those relationships. And the book of Shmos, the Golas, is a reminder to us what happens when we neglect and fail to nurture the relationships that we have an opportunity to have that voice. So Paro sees, this is a growing nation. First of all, they're Ba'im Mitzrayim, they're described. The Jewish people are Elish Mos, they're Ba'im Mitzrayim. Rabbi Salavitchik points out, why are they Ba'im in the, in the Hovet? It should be Asher Ba'u. They came to Egypt. Why does it say Asher Ba'im? They're coming to Egypt. So the Rav points out, based on the Medrash, which notes this anomaly, Ki'ilu Ba'u Hayom. It's as if B'nai Israel had come that very day. The term Abayim suggests the people of Egypt did not consider the Jewish people as part of their state, society, and culture. They looked upon them as if they had just entered Egypt. Habayim, you Jews are never real citizens. We've never really fully accepted you. You're Baim, you're immigrants. At what point do you lose the status of immigrants and get to be treated as equal residents? For the Jew, never. You're always an immigrant. You're always a stranger. You're always a foreigner. What, what began, what precipitated this hatred of Paro, what precipitated the animosity that led to this strategy for extermination of the Jewish people was a mentality and an attitude that the Jew is a stranger. They are forever an immigrant, forever an immigrant and outsider, never allowed to fully join. Habaim, not ba'u, but habaim, they continue. This belief in the otherness of the Jew repeats itself through history, writes the Rav. Jews lived in Germany even before the Dark Ages. During the Middle Ages, the Jews supported Germany from within. They were an integral part of society. Yet many centuries after they arrived, these Jews were wiped out in the Holocaust, charged with being strangers, not counted among society. The essence of anti-Semitic doctrine throughout history always depicted the Jew as a stranger. They charged that we are strangers, Ivrim. We never assimilate ourselves into any community. We are outsiders. And that's the present tense. That's what it means. Habaim, not Asher Ba'u. What was Paro's mentality, his strategy? He communicated, he depicted the Jewish people as if they were poised to rebel, as if they were about to rise up. And therefore he instilled this fear within the citizens of Egypt that they had to eliminate the Jews, otherwise they were at risk from the Jews. Rabbi Soloveitchik uses the beginning of this parsha to really describe, obviously weighed heavily on his heart, still, the Holocaust. And for us too, the anti-Semitism that we see beginning or continuing to rise in our time, this is very instructive of what we need to be, of what we need to be looking out for. It says, The Egyptians enslaved the Jewish people with back-breaking labor. It took place in three stages, writes the Rav. In the first stage, Paro demonized the nation. 
arguing that they constituted a potential fifth column and threatened Egypt from within. Pen your bev, fend your throats, maybe they're going to increase, they'll war, they'll join our enemies. The second step was to enlist them into a sort of national service to build storage cities. They could prove their loyalty to Egypt. This phase evolved into servitude, so abject that women were forced to submit to the hard labor normally relegated to men, while men were relegated to work that involved the fine manual dexterity typically performed by women. This role reversal resulted in profound demoralization, the work so ill-suited to slaves that there was no sense of accomplishment. So there was this three-pronged approach of Paro to demoralize the people, which is exactly how his strategy worked. He so overworked us and so burdened us and made us so busy that we forfeited the ability to even dream of a better future, of a brighter future. Paro's strategy was brilliant. The Slonim Rebbe develops. We spoke about it yesterday. You can listen online. The Slonim Rebbe develops that Golos is Histalkus Hadas. Exile is the inability to think. True exile is when you're in a state of despair, when your life is so noisy and busy and confusing, fractured and fragmented and divided. Basically, a description of our reality. We have the greatest proliferation of technology, progress, the gifts that it affords us, which we welcome and which are wonderful and which I too benefit from and enjoy. But if we're not mindful of how we use them, they take over our lives. And then instead of giving us freedom, they enslave us. We're enslaved and attached and connected to that technology, but we also have that background noise and we live in a world that measures success by busyness. However busy you are is how impressive you are. How are you doing? I'm busy. Crazy busy. Psycho busy. <laughs> insanely busy. As if we're trying to impress other people by our busyness. But when we have busyness, we have no Yishav Hadas. Yishav Hadas is Geula, is redemption, is freedom. Menuchas HaNefesh, peace, serenity, the capacity to think, to be, to live mindfully. That's Geula, that's redemption. Lack of Das, that's Gullus. So Paro knew, how do I truly... How do I ruthlessly oppress and persecute these people? By making them busier and busier and busier. More and more and more work. No space, no margin, no time off, no ability to think or be or interact. The busier I make them, the more enslaved they are, the less they can dream. The less that they can take their own destiny into their own hands. And that's exactly his methodology, is that he makes them busier and busier. The Islam Marebbe, Vayaka Melachadash, says the Melachadash is the Yitzhahara, created everything equal. So the moment that our Yetzir HaTov was increasing, what happens? The Jewish people are growing. We were growing. The Yetzir HaTov, our positive bright light, our good influence was growing. So to offset that, the Yetzir and how do we defeat that Yetzir By not allowing it to make us believe we're so busy. By quieting the noise and carving out space and finding the ability to live with serenity and with a sense of mindfulness. So Paro's strategy is busy, 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 busy. We have the Torah that tells us the story of, of uh, Miriam and Yocheved, Shifra and Pua, and how they are saving these uh, Jewish children, even though they're supposed, to be, they're supposed to be killing them. All that was part of Paro's plan to show the Jewish people are so, lack such integrity themselves. They don't even sympathize one for another. These two Jewish midwives are the ones killing their own brothers and sisters, killing their own children. It's Paro's effort, strategic effort, to demoralize the Jewish people. Then we have Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayelech Ishmi Beis Levi, Vayikach Es Bas Levi. We have the story of the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu, which begins generically. It doesn't tell us his parents' names. The Torah obscures it by saying, In Ishmi Beis Levi is Bas Levi. 
why don't their names deserve to be mentioned? Why don't their names deserve to be mentioned here? It's a good question. We're not going to get into it because we're going to try to actually get to the Pesukim this week. So, what happens? They can't uh, possibly uh, risk Moshe's life. We all know they make this uh, Moshe's basket, put him in the basket. He's floating. Paro's daughter sees a bright light, sees that there's something amazing. Miriam is watching. The lad, he's crying. This is something amazing. Who's crying? Torah tells us. So the Bas Paro, Bisya, not Basya, Bisya, Bas Paro, is going for a swim. And she notices this basket. She looks inside and she's struck, awestruck. And she opens it. She sees a Na'ar is crying. Who's crying? Who's crying? So Rashi says, Rashi says, uh, Moshe's crying. Now, one second. It describes the Torah that the one who's crying is a Na'ar. A Na'ar is not a baby. It doesn't say It says Na'ar so Rashi says, who's the Na'ar? Kolo ken Na'ar. It's Moshe Rabbeinu, he's a baby. But Moshe is very mature, Moshe is very developed, and his voice sounds like a child, sounds already like an adolescent. Sounds like a Na'ar, not simply like a baby. But the Balaturim has an amazing pshat. And says the Balaturim, Hine Na'ar Boche, is not talking about Moshe, that he had some mature, developed voice. But Hine Na'ar Boche writes the Balaturim, Aaron! You know who the Nar Boche is? It's Aaron. When Aaron, with his sister, put their brother in the basket, you think he put Moshe in a basket, sent him floating down the river, and then went back home, opened his Gemara, or played another game of Fortnite, or sat down to have a meal, drink a beer? You think Aaron just went back to business life as usual? Chalila. He ne Nar Boche. True, he had no choice but to put Moshe in the bath to try to save him. But Imo Anochi Hatsara, he stood by his side and he watched what would be. And the voice of that cry came not from that baby Moshe, Hine Nar Boche, is Aram, who's watching what will be and what is the destiny of his brother, of his child. And that's the other theme of Parsha Shmos, replete throughout Shmos. We're not going to have time to fully develop it right now. But why does Hashem choose Moshe? Because this is the quality that Hashem cares about most of a leader. The altar of Kelm has a whole essay. I'll study it with you another time because it's incredible. Where he shows all these periods of Moshe's life that when Hashem comes time to say, who's going to be my quintessential leader? Who's going to be the one who is the redeemer of the Jewish people not only in that period, but one of the Ramam's 13 principles of faith is that Moshe is categorically different. He's the Av HaNavim. Why is Moshe the Avanavim? What is it about Moshe that makes him distinguished to be that leader? Because he was smarter than anyone else? Better looking, more charismatic, more powerful? Greater athlete, greater artist? Certainly wasn't a greater orator. So why is Moshe chosen? What makes Moshe better? And the altar of Kelm shows through the Midrashim what makes Moshe chosen is his capacity for empathy. The fact that he doesn't live in his own bubble. He's not isolated in his own world. He's not self-centered. He sees people around him. He sees pain around him. And he cares about other people. Everyone else walks by this burning bush. But Moshe Rabbeinu sees it. And later he steps out of the palace. It's an amazing possible. It says, It says, Vaigdal, Where's the Pasuk? Vayibayamim ahem vayigdal Moshe vayetzei el achav. 
In those days, Moshe grew up and he went out to his brothers. So commentaries say, what is Vayegdal Moshe? How do you know he grew up? Because what does it mean as a Jew to grow up? It's to Vayetzei El Achav. To be a grown-up is to go out to your brothers. A child only cares about themselves. They want the first portion. They want the best seat. They want their happiness. A child, an immature, petty child is self-centered. What does it mean to Vayigdal? What does it mean to grow up? Vayetzei El Achav. To go out to your brothers. To look and to see and to care about what's happening outside yourself and outside your world. That's what it means to be a gadol. We have a lot of people who in age are gadolim, but in attitude are katanim. People 40s, 50s, 60s, 80 year olds who are still katanim, they're still minors because they've never they're still trying to grab the best seat in the first portion and they're trying to care only about themselves. And you can have children who are incredibly empathic and sensitive and kind and they're mature because even at a young age they're already showing they're grown-ups. These attributes are not chronology, they're not an age. Age is just a number. Some of my children remind me at bedtime. Age is just a number. But maturity, being a katan or a gadol, is all about caring. The Babach Rebbe Zatzal says similarly. You know, where do we learn that a bar mitzvah is at 13 years old? Anyone know from what passage do we learn that you become bar mitzvah at 13? The Gemara associates it with fertility, the capacity to parent a child, 12 for a girl, 13 for a boy. Medrash identifies it, associates it with a pasuk. Which pasuk? When Dina is taken hostage and her brothers, Levi and Shimon, go and fight for her release and they stand up and they confront Shechem in order to get Dina back, Medrash says, how old were they when that happened? Says they were 13 years old. Precocious young men, certainly at 13 years old. But at 13 years old, they stood up. And Rabbi Shereva says on that, you see that what it means to be a gadol, what it means to be a bar mitzvah, what it means to be counted among your people, is when you go and you redeem your sister when she's taken care. It's the same exact shot as over here. What does it mean to be a gadol? What it means to be a gadol is to care about other people. A katan only cares about themselves. How do you know Moshe Vayigdal? How do you know Moshe was a gadol? Because Vayetzei Elachav. He saw. And what happens? Vayar b'siv losam. He goes outside and he sees their suffering. Vayar ish mitzrim ha'ke'ishiv And he sees an Egyptian smiting. It's the only context anyone ever uses that word, smiting. But he sees an Egyptian smiting a Jew, an Ivri, a Hebrew, a me'ever. He looks both ways and so on. We know the story. Vayar b'siv losam. He leaves the palace now he could have looked away. He could have looked away. You know who looks away? We have an example of someone who looks away. You know who looks away? Hagar. When Avram kicks Hagar and Yishmael out of his home, because Sarah tells him to, and Kodesh Baruch Paskin, that we have to listen to the pinnacle of creation. So... That's the curse that we continue to suffer from till today. So, so um, Sarah tells uh, Avram to expel Hagar and Yishmael from the home, and he does. And Yishmael is, is uh, suffering. So what happens? What does Hagar do? She positions herself away from Yishmael and with her back to him. Why? She says, Ki amra el al er I can't bear to watch the death of my son. 
I can't bear to see. I can't bear to watch. Can't bear to watch. Someone who's loving and empathic and caring, a mother can't bear to look away. Can't stop. Hagar looks away. Aaron, Hanar Bocheh, can't walk away. He stands in the bank of the river and he won't leave Moshe's side until he sees what happens with Moshe. Hagar looks away. Aaron can't look away. Moshe could have stayed in the palace. He had everything. Royalty. But he can't bear to not look. He goes out to his brothers. He can't bear to not look. That's Moshe. So later, it says, You have this fire that's burning but not consuming fuel. And Hashem calls out to Moshe from the sneh. So the simple understanding of the Pasuk is, why does God call Moshe from the sneh? Simple understanding is, because everyone else is walking right by. There's this amazing phenomenon taking place. This supernatural phenomenon. Normally there's a fire and the fuel is being consumed. Here there's a fire and the fuel is not being consumed. And everyone else is so busy texting and reading and looking and listening. They don't even look up, they miss it. We are missing miracles all around us because we're so busy looking down. Looking down at the phone. Texting and beeping and buzzing and viral and social media and liking and following. We're so busy looking down, we fail to see anything going on. Simple pshat is that Hashem saw, Hashem that Moshe wasn't, he was the one person walking down the street. You ever stay on the street, go to Manhattan? Stay on, just, just watch the people on the street in Manhattan. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You're the only one because everyone else is looking down. Everyone else is miserable and running and racing and chasing and slow, calm. No menuchas hanefesh. Everyone else is enslaved. And if you can have menuchas hanefesh, you're the only one who's free. Everyone else is, is connected to their leash called headphones. We now have Bluetooth leashes, but they're still leashes. And, uh, and you can be free of the noise and of the connectivity and so on. So, the simple understanding is everyone else walked by and Moshe stopped to look. So when Hashem saw, Vayar Hashem, when Hashem saw, Kisar Liros, that Moshe stopped to look, he said, oh, this is my man. He's living in the present. He's mindful. He's my man. That's a simple understanding. But the Medrash has a different understanding. Listen to this Medrash. It's in Bamidbar Rabbah. Moshe. The Medrash says, Moshe was 20 years old then. Some say he was 40. What do you mean? If he's 20 or 40, either way, he's not 13. He's not a little bar mitzvah yingle. So what's, what do you mean, he grew up now? So the Medrash says, no, the Vayigdal is The fact that he went out is the definition of what it means to be a gadol. And that says the Medrash, listen to this, Geshmak Medrash. That says the Medrash is, Vayar Hashem Kisar Liros. Ra Kadush Baruch Hu Moshe Shesar Me'askav Liros Besiv Losam Vayar Hashem Kisar Liros Hashem saw Kisar Liros that Moshe went to see not the bush but Kisar Liros Liros Besiv Losam that the fact that Moshe left the palace and couldn't bear to peel his eyes away from seeing the suffering of his brothers and sisters because he felt so connected to it so why is Moshe tapped? Why is he tasked with being the leader of the Jewish people? Why? Because 
He has this capacity for empathy. He cares. Yes, he's brilliant. Yes, there's a charisma, even if he's not an orator. And yes, Moshe has the midos and the humility. He's got all the other incredible qualities, the incredible midos tovos. But the reason he's tapped as the altar of Kelm is, he saw their os, their os besivlos son. This is Moshe. The altar of Kelm quotes the Medrash with the sheep. He's a, he's a shepherd. One of the sheep in Midian runs off and he finds the sheep. And he sees the sheep had run off because it was desperate for some water. It's drinking at a river. The measure describes how Moshe puts the little sheep on his shoulders and carries it, cares for it, and nurtures it. And Hashem says, Wow, this brilliant man shows such love for a sheep. This is my man. This is my man. Why? Because this is Hashem's midah. Says Rashi, Mitochasne. Why does Hashem speak to Moshe from a thorn bush? Mitochasne. A lowly thorn bush. The thorn bush is the lowliest of the vegetative world. Why a thorn bush? Why not roses? Have thorns, but roses, violets. What if some name some fancy flowers? Bougainvilleas, is that what they're called? Why not some fancy, beautiful flower? Why snare? Says Rashi. Lo ilan acher. Not from a mango tree. Why does Hashem speak from a Speak to Moshe Rabbeinu, recruit him from a mango tree. Who doesn't love a delicious mango? No. Mishim imo anochi b'tzara. Because Hashem was showing, was displaying imo anochi b'tzara. This is a Baruch quality. Imo anochi b'tzara, the Jewish people are suffering. I'm right by their side. I'm with them. And Moshe had that same quality. That's what Hashem saw that made him recruit. And it's not a coincidence that one of the 48 ways that the Torah is acquired is, is... Being Imo Anochi Bitsara is being no say ba'olam chavero. Our capacity for our capacity for empathy, caring about people around us is the display, is the sign of maturity, of being a gadol. It's why Moshe is recruited. And I'm, I'm telling you this whole thing because you're gonna see, we're gonna now delve into our psukim, but it's gonna explain an anomaly or question we have in our psukim. Right? So we basically went through the rest of the summary. Moshe is a shepherd. He, goes, he has to run to Midian. He comes back. He's a shepherd. A Baruch recruits him from the bush. He sends him. He says, how do I know? This is the part we're going to look at. He asks for Hashem's name. The request from the Egyptians. He doubts the people's faith. Hashem responds. He heads down to Egypt. Zipporah gives a bris to the kids. Can a woman be a moel? Separate discussion. Moshe and Aaron come to Paro. They demand, let my people go. Paro just increases the burden. The people said, you see, we knew you were going to make things worse, not better. And that's how we end off our Parsha. Okay, that's the old thing. We last left off. I checked. Last year, Perakimel Pesach Tess. Chapter 3, verse 9 is where we last left off last year. Perakimel Pesach Tess. But I'm sure you all remembered that. We are on page 302. In the Arts Girl Stone Chumash, page 302. I got so many things going on over here. Okay, so let's start. Veata, he needs a cast by Israel boy alive. We got Raisius Alachat Shemitzrayim Lochatzim Osam. So what's happening here? Where are we in this section? Hashem is recruiting Moshe to be this uh, leader, and uh, and he tells him the time has come. I'm ready to redeem this people. Viata, and now, the cries of the Jewish people are coming to me, are coming to me. I see the lachats. What is that lachats? 
I see the lachatz. What does the word lachatz mean? I see the pressure. I see the squeeze that they're under. So what is this squeeze? What is this lachatz? What is the lachatz that they're suffering from? So, the Svarno says, what is this lachatz? V'yata v'yosa kulo emes v'zetam v'yata b'chom makom. Anytime it says viata, it's all emes. It's true. This is exactly what happened. Viata and now. I feel their pain, Hashem says. I can't withstand their cries anymore. I can't be unresponsive to their cries. I've accepted their prayers. They've called out to me. Since they've cried out to me, I can't help but answer. Their prayers are so sincere, they're so genuine, they're so authentic. Hashem says, even though I had planned for there to be slaves, to, to be slaves for how long? How long were they supposed to be slaves? Four hundred years. But Hashem says, I can't, I can't bear, I can't listen anymore. So Hashem shortens it because tzakas. See from here a very powerful and very important lesson that we have the capacity to influence our destiny and even overcome what Hashem had planned through sincere and authentic tefillah. The Gamraisias Alachat says this for no mitzad rova lachat zroy laanoshas alochatzim. Kinya the katsaf gadolani kotsef alagoy mashanim, mashani kavtafti maat vehemazrilara. Says the Svarna, what's the lachatz? Lachatz means that the Egyptians were excessive in the persecution and oppression. Hashem wanted the Jewish people to go through trial by fire, the Kurha Barzel. We would only come out and emerge a people. Would we have the resolve, the resiliency, and the tenacity to have survived through the millennia that we have if we weren't first forged and formed with tough skin and a strong backbone and those qualities in the Mitzrayim? Hashem, and if you have a metal, you want to refine the metal and burn out the impurities in the metal, you throw it in the fire. So Hashem wanted to forge a hard, strong metal of the Jewish people, prove our metal. So where did He do it? In the Kura Barzal in Egypt. We needed to go through that experience. First of all, the contrast of the Egyptian culture to the ideals and values of the culture Hashem wants for us. So He put us through that fiery furnace. But the Egyptians turned the temperature up a little too high. That's the lachas. They got too much of a geschmack out of turning the temperature up a little high. So that we were supposed to go through persecution, that was from above, that's from Hashem. That degree, that excessive persecution, that lachat says the Sforno, so Hashem says, you know what? They've accelerated the process. You were supposed to slow cook at this temperature for a longer time, but the Egyptian turned the oven up, so I'm taking you out of the oven faster. Because you're fully cooked. You're fully cooked, and they need to be punished for turning up the temperature. Nobody touches my oven, says Hashem. So they need to be punished for that lachatz. I heard your cries, and the Sforno interprets the lachatz for the lachatz. They need to be, they need to be punished. So Hashem says, here's the deal. It's time to take them out. You know who's going to be the one to take them out? You. You. The Orchaim here writes, by the way, in Ba Eli, that we have different forms of tefillah. Some of our tefillah gets upstairs, makes it close, doesn't quite get there. But the tzaka, he says, I heard, tzaka's b'nei Israel, Ba Eli, the most authentic, sincere, genuine, heartfelt prayers they take the express train. They've got high speed. They go all the way right up to the Kisei HaKavod. 
the more sincere, the more authentic, the more genuine, the more it's real, not just lip service and not just racing through the words, the more we understand what we're saying, we feel what we're saying, and we mean what we're saying, and we rely on what we're saying, the more efficacious, the more productive it is. Ba'elai. It'll get to the destination. You know, there's different ways of sending mail. Second class, first class, bulk mail, and, and how you, what you invest in the mail determines when it arrives. Right? Are you a member of Prime? Did you pay for the overnight delivery? The, what you pay determines the speed in which it's delivered. So what we invest in our tefillah determines the speed in which that tefillah is delivered to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If you want it to be Ba'a'ilai, to reach the Kisei kavod, it's got to be Tzakaz B'nai Yisrael. It's got to come from a very deep and very heartfelt place. So Hashem says, take it out of the oven faster. And who's going to be the one? Put on your oven, Mitzmosha, because you're going down to, pa- to Mitzrayim. And now I'm sending you to Paro, and you're going to take the people out. Now Moshe Rabbeinu reacts and he says, Whoa, 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 whoa. One second. Who am I? Who am I to go to Paro, and am I the one to take B'nai Israel out of Mitzrayim? Now we need three hours to go through this possible. And we don't have it. We've got nine minutes. So we're going to try to do this in a little bit of an accelerated way. But is Moshe Rabbeinu asking one question or two? It seems like he's asking two questions. Who am I? Who am I to go to Paro? Please, what am I? Who am I? And secondly, do I have the ability to take the Jewish people out? Can I redeem the people? Vayomer, so Hashem answers. And what's Hashem's answer? No, relax. I'll be with you. You're not going alone. Relax. I'm not sending you by yourself. And how will you know that I'm the one who sent you? The sign, the evidence that I'm the one who sent you. That when you leave, you will come back and serve me, God, on this mountain. Which mountain? Harsinai. So Moshe demurs, he hesitates, he says, whoa, 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 who am I? Who am I? I'm nothing, I can't, I don't speak well, I don't know. And, and secondly, even if I was willing to take on this assignment, how can I complete it? How can I take the Jewish people out? And God says, whoa, relax, I'm going with you, A. And B, the sign, when I take you out, you'll, this is a very backward sign. I mean, the sign is after the fact. Normally, Moshe says, how do I know right now? Prove it to me now. No problem, I'll take it on. Hashem says, go do it. And the sign is later you're going to come worship at the mountain. Understand the question? So is Moshe Rabbeinu asking one thing, is he asking two things? And how exactly does Hashem's response answer what Moshe Rabbeinu's question, what Moshe Rabbeinu's question is? So everybody, everybody weighs in on this. Everybody weighs in on this. Rav Levi Yitzchuk of Bredichev says, the Bredichever has a grip shot. He says, Moshe said, Moshe was saying, I'm, I'm humble, I'm nothing, I'm a gurnisht, who am I to go to Para? Later, by the way, in Matan Torah, when Moshe is chosen to be the one who will communicate the whole Torah, he doesn't resist. So why not? So Rebbe Yitzchak of Berdicha, the Bidjitzchak says that what Hashem is saying, Zelacha Os, later you're going to stand at this mountain, what he was telling him is, what's different about this mountain than the other mountains? We know, Moshe Kibbal Torah, not Bisinai, but Misinai. 
Moshe received the Torah from Sinai. He didn't receive it on Har Sinai. He received the lesson from Har Sinai. What's the lesson from Har Sinai? We all know this. Our little children and grandchildren know this. That all the other mountains said, I've got the most friends, I've got the most followers, I've got the most money, I've got the most power, I'm the biggest mountain, choose me. And this little mountain didn't try to assert itself, didn't try to grab the spotlight, because Baruch says, you're the mountain. So the notion, the lesson of humility as a precursor, humility as a necessary prerequisite for Torah, Moshe learned that lesson not on Har Sinai, but from Har Sinai. Moshe Kibbal Torah, not B'Sinai, but M'Sinai. Says the B'Dit that's what's going on here. Hashem says, Zelachaos. Yeah, who am I to go do this if you're right? If I was looking for the one with the most friends, the one with the most followers, the one with the biggest spotlight, the one who with the most power, the one with the most notoriety and fame, you're right, who are you? You're humble. But guess what? Zelachaos. You know who I'm looking for? The most humble. That's how Hashem was answering Moshe. When Moshe says, Who am I? He says, Check out this mountain. Later, you're going to accept the Torah on this mountain. And you know why this mountain will be designated, not the other superior mountains? Says Hashem, Because for me, humility is superior. Humility rules the day. Hashem says, For me, it's all about the humility. That's why this mountain will be chosen. And that's why you are the one who's being, that's why you are the one who's being chosen. The Sefer, Shevet Sofer, Rav Simcha Bunim Sofer has a different pshat. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Who am I? Mi anochi ke'elech al-para. And Hashem says, Zelachaos ke'anochi shlachticha. So Rashi, look at Rashi, he says, What's the Zelachaos anochi shlachticha? Let's look at Rashi. Let's catch up. Rashi says, Mi anochi mani chasho ladaberim amalachim. Who am I to go speak to royalty? Aristocracy. Who am I? And even if I am Chashev, in what merit do the Jewish people deserve to be redeemed and that I should be that catalyst of the redemption? And Hashem says, says Rashi, you Moshe hesitated because you said, who am I to go to Paro? You're not going to represent yourself. You are my ambassador and my agent. I'm going to be with you. And that's what you saw when you looked into the burning bush. The sign is that I've sent you. Just like you saw that this bush was an aberration, is a deviation from the norm. This bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's doing what I sent it to do. And you saw that the bush took its mission, its charge, and did what it's supposed to do, so too I'm sending you. You're right, if you were going on your own, then who says you'll be successful in your mission? But you're not going on your own. You're my agent, you're my ambassador. I'm sending you. And just like the bush succeeded in doing its mission, because you're doing my mission, my bidding, you will be successful, says Rashi. When he said, in what merit did the Jewish people have to go out? No, they're going to receive the Torah on this mountain. You're right. To take them out to be some other secular political entity, to take them out to be a nation like every other, eh, let them rot. But I have a reason to take them out. The whole purpose in taking them out is to make it back here to this mountain and give them their Torah and let them be a microcosm for the world to see. Let them be role models for the world of how to live. 
The Sof Shlusha Chadash and Yitzim Mitzrayim, three months later, they're going to be here. And this is the sign, I'm making a promise. That when I take them out, they're going to come and they're going to worship. So Moshe says, Who am I? And Shalim says, You're right, you are a Gornish, you're nobody. Don't think you're all that because I'm asking you to go. I'm asking you to go to represent me. You're my agent, you're my lawyer. You've got power of attorney from me, you're my spokesman. And why are the Jewish people going to be redeemed? You're right. In the present, they don't deserve to be redeemed. But they're going to be redeemed because of the bright future that I have in store for them. They're going to receive the Torah. And they have a mission to carry out. They're not just some secular, political, some other nation. They have a unique mission to fulfill. And that's why I'm taking them out now. So says Rav Simcha Bunim Sofer, he says, when Rashi says that it's talking about the, the bush, he says, what he asked, in what marriage should the people be redeemed? And Hashem says, go look at the bush. So we understood, go look at the bush, the bush fulfilled its mission, you should fulfill your mission. So it says, What Hashem was telling him is, like the bush, the bush represents Remember we said, why not the mango tree? Why not the bougainvillea? Is that how you pronounce it? Bougainvillea? Why not some fancy flower? Why not some fancy flower? Shem should speak to him from a magnificent chuppah, covered in flowers. Oh, that should draw Moshe's attention. From a lowly thorn bush. Why? Imo anochi b'tzara. Hashem says, Imo anochi b'tzara, that caught your eye. And it caught your eye because you too practice Imo anochi b'tzara. Vayar sum. And that's why. It's in that merit that you have been designated that you are the one. You are mishtatev with me. Just like I care about their pain, you care about their pain. And that's why you're the man. So that's who you are. When Moshe says, who am I to go? You know who you are? You're the one who noticed the bush. The bush was Yimo Anochi B'tzara, the symbol of Yimo Anochi B'tzara. The bush is the symbol of Nosei Ba'olam Chavero. Since that's your character, it's who you are, as you noticed it when everyone else walked by, that's why you are the one who's going to be my ambassador, and you're the one who's going to take them out. I'll end with Rabbi Salavitchik's interpretation, even though I had a hundred more things to tell you. But Rabbi Maskowitz is giving his great class next, and I don't want to go too far into his time. Rabbi Salavitchik says the following. The master of the universe appears to Moshe, the seemingly very simple shepherd, tending to his flock, and he says, I've heard the cries, take you out. Eshlachacha, I'll send you as my shliach. Listen to what the Rav says. Reflect for a moment on the paradoxical implications of this nondescript phrase. The creator of worlds, the master of the universe, the infinite, appoints flesh and blood, temporal man, who is today alive but tomorrow in the grave as his agent, his shliach. How can weak, finite man possibly act as the agent of the infinite creator of words? worlds? Although there's no sound resolution to this question, the imperative for man to accept the assignment remains. Right? The Rav is confounded. I understand if I ask you to do something, you can represent me. Because I'm mortal, you're mortal, I'm finite, you're finite, I'm imperfect, you're imperfect. You represent me. How can any of us be the representative of Hashem? The Gemara in numerous places tells us, that an agent is likened to as the status of the sender. So the Rav says, since man, the agent was created, like the sender, he's compelled to accept the assignment despite his feeble capabilities and temporal nature. Such a gishmak insight. What Hashem is answering Moshe is, you're right. If you, human being, were independent and created having nothing to do with me, who would, you be, who would be you to be my agent? 
But because you're created in my image, and there's a tzelem elokim, this comes full circle to how we began the shir with Moda'ani, Rabba Emunasecha. Because I'm in you, if you believe in me, you have to believe in yourself. You can be my shliach. Why? Because taka shliach shaladam kamoso. Because you are like me. You have a tzelem elokim in, in you. We have to believe in ourselves and believe that we have a mission and believe that we have a plan and we believe that we can, that we can make that difference, that we are shliach of Hashem. Every one of us has our own shlichus. Every one of us has been tapped for our unique mission. Moshe hesitates and resists his mission. And Hashem says, Go and be my agent. And he says the exact same thing to us. If you woke up today, it's because Hashem tapped you on the shoulder and said, Go be my agent. You might be retired from your profession, but you're not retired from your agency, from your mission, from what Hashem has in store for us to accomplish in whatever way He wants it, us to accomplish it. What is our calling? How can we be His agent? How can we improve and repair His world? And when we do, Hashem says, relax, I'm going with you. I will be with you all along the way. And that's Parsha's bow. Bo el paro. Hashem doesn't say, go to paro. He says, bo, come to paro. Because all throughout this mission of Moshe, Hashem is right there by his side. Mir Hashem will pick up from here next year. Don't forget, tonight and Thursday night. Bye.